So I applied to one college and took all the tests and I got accepted and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to MIT and, and I don't even know what that really means. From Grindstone Media, this is Nebraska Made, a narrative journey through the lives of Nebraska's most inspiring business leaders. We unpack the intimate details of how our guests navigated obstacles and built their companies in pursuit of the good life. I'm JT Martin, and today's guest is Steve Keen, one of the godfathers of Nebraska Tech and the CEO of Ocuvera, a technology that's helping prevent deadly patient falls in hospitals. It might be fair to call Steve Keen the Steve Jobs of Nebraska. He sees things differently, he makes things happen, and he doesn't care what others think of him. He's had plenty of success that's opened doors for him to move away from Nebraska and pursue greater ventures, but he remains adamantly loyal to his home state and his hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska. I was born at Bryan Hospital here in Lincoln, so I've kind of come full circle now. Um, I used to say Silicon Valley was my second home because I spent more time there than I did here, but I've always considered this home and had opportunities to leave and just couldn't do it. What were you like as a kid? Were you into computers or books or what were you into? I read a lot. Uh, we'd, we'd get the little scholastic book order forms at school and my parents would order lots of books for me and I'd bring them home and have them read that night. My mom would take me to the library. Anything I could get my hands on, I would, I would read. Some of my earliest memories were going to work with my dad. He had his own small heating and air conditioning business and I'd go to work with him on the weekends. And I think I learned a lot, you know, from there and, you know, got in the way, I'm sure more than help, but just you learn things. And I would say the biggest thing that I picked up somewhere along the way was you can figure out anything, you know, that, that if there's a problem, then, okay, you can figure out how to solve it. And I mean, to this day, that's really what drives me is finding problems to solve. Yeah. Did you like formal education? No, I didn't. I didn't like the classroom. I, I... I guess, you know, what, what teachers I've talked to, you know, for uh, years later, it's like, well, you were just really smart and bored. So I, I, I saw my first computer when I was in summer school after sixth grade, I believe. It was an Apple II, which I've never heard of, but it's like it was only text uh, pretty much. And it was a science class that we used computers. And so I first sat down at it and used the science program. And I was like, wow, just my life changed there. It was like, this is, thing is amazing. And I ended up failing that class because all I did was sit on the computer and, and just kind of taught myself how to program from there. And that's then when school started again, every minute I could, I got into the computer lab, which was just a, a storage room that had a few computers in it. And just, I really didn't care about school after that. I mean, in, in high school, and this is back in like, you know, when people had tube TVs that broke down every year or stereos that needed repair, bring your stuff into the electronics room and Steve will fix it. And well, you start fixing everything for teachers, you get a little bit of slack on things. And so my grades weren't very good and, and I was late a lot. But um, by the time I was a junior, I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week as a software developer. What were you working on software development wise at this time? Like what what was there to code back then? Yeah, well, like the first program I wrote that I got any money for was a super, super, super simple accounting system. And that's way overstating it. But 
basically I had a friend of mine and his dad was an electrician and, and so when he would do a job he needed to send an invoice and he wanted to keep track of, of whether people paid and how much money it was. So I just wrote a very, very simple way to print out an invoice on his printer and whatever and I don't know, I think he paid me 50 bucks or something but that was, hey, here's a problem, I can solve it. Did you end up finishing high school then at this point or were you full blown into software development? So, so yeah, kind of my... My junior year in high school, my best friend and I, um, a guy named Rod Magnuson, um, we started our own software company, which really was just like, hey, we want to write software and, and try to sell it. And back then, people would write software, upload it to these bulletin boards where people could download it. And if the people were you know, so compelled and honest, they would send you some money. So we wrote a, a simple word processor that was color. And we made, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks while we were juniors in high school and um, had lots of people use it. We got a, there's a musician uh, named Herbie Hancock, which he, made him, he he sent us money. I still have, I still have the, the letter from him handwritten and I'm like, how cool is this, man? You know, he was, he, had, he was like, that was his heyday and I, I was on top of the world like, wow, how neat is, how neat is this? And you're you're a junior in high school at this time, right? So yeah. a couple thousand so, dollars, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that could buy more computer equipment, you know, and <laughs> more Mountain Dew and So Steve is credited with coming up with the very first color word processor for the Mac. A software that they call MaxWrite. He has some money in his pocket and it's starting to look like he has a bright future as a software developer. One would assume that the next practical step for Steve would be college. So yeah, I've been junior in high school and we're doing the stuff. And then, you know, senior year, I'm trying to work more than, than um, uh, go to class. And then you're supposed to do the kind of thing that seniors are trying to do now. Okay, I gotta go to college and you're supposed to do all this and apply to these colleges and whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. But so I applied to one college and took all the tests and I got accepted and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to MIT and and I don't even know what that really means but um, long story short turns out that that because I worked so much and I didn't have very many classes I didn't have enough credits to graduate high school <laughs> and so when the end of school rolled around it was like well you need to go to summer school and no I think I'm just done with all this I'm not going to do this I'm just I'm we're busy working on this big new software product. I'm just going to work on this. I'm not, I'm not going to go to school anymore. And, and I racked my brain trying to figure out what did my parents say? Cause they must've just, that was going to be my next like, question. Like yeah. what <laughs> the hell are you saying? And so we'd worked in my parents' basement and we had a guy working for us when we were in high school, oh my, <laughs> my parents' basement. So, <laughs> you know, and, I mean, it, it seems to have worked out for you, but I, I guess it's maybe a, a good decision not to have gone to MIT? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think not going to MIT was a good decision. I wish I would have taken some classes at UNL. Is it, 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 I think it set me back from a social standpoint hugely of, of how to work with people, but I think there's a lot of things I could have learned. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was just, I was lucky that there was something that I was, was, was pretty good at that I was also passionate about and that you could make money at. So Steve passes up on an invitation to MIT, the world's top technology education, but he didn't seem to miss much because just a few short years later came his next tipping point, 
he developed a software called Stacker that would take the capacity of a hard disk and would double the amount of data that you could store on it by compressing that data. And since hard drive storage was incredibly expensive back then, this was a big development. And it wasn't long before he found a company that wanted to acquire them. Kind of, for me, the turning point came a few years later. Um, um, so a friend of mine and I wrote a program and we sold it to a company um, back in, I guess I was, I wasn't quite 21 because I couldn't even rent a car, um, you know, and they couldn't legally sign a contract, things like that. Um, uh, we flew out to California and pitched this product to a company and um, long story short, they ended up buying it for a couple million dollars. We had agreed on the phone to a price and they were going to pay all up front and there we go. And I told another company that I was negotiating with, it's like, now nah, I've decided to go another direction. And so two days later, they're in town. We, we go have a nice dinner the night before and all this fun stuff. And then the next morning we meet at our lawyer's office. They lay out the contract. But before they lay it out, I said, well, you know, I just want to let you know that we've made some changes to the deal. Bottom line was half as much money <laughs> paid. That's a change, yeah. Yes. And, 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 um, uh, so instead of it all up front, it was, we'll pay you half as earnout um, if you meet sales goals that we establish and we'll pay you half of the half now. And I remember the feeling of, I think I literally could reach across the table and kill you. I mean, rage, like you completely lied to me. You know, that, that again, it's like, this is not right. You don't do this. And I'm very upset. <laughs> um, but it was a good lesson of you can't always trust everybody to do things the right way, especially people in California. <laughs> Sorry, California, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're they're you know, they thought, oh, well, we can get away with this and doesn't make it right. You know, just that. But that was a kind of a turning point. Like, that's when my parents were like, oh, well, you're successful now. <laughs> and I understand their viewpoint of, well, you made it, you know, you got a million dollars sitting in a bank. OK, you're successful. And I remember taking the check to the bank and first I'm like, I want to photocopy this. So he went down to Kinko's, I want to make a copy of this. Oh, you can't copy a check, whatever. Come on, come on, you know? And look at this kid going, what the hell? Where did you steal this check from, you know? And, and then, you know, went down, deposited it. And then it's like, okay, well, now I got to finish the software. Money is, money is one, one way to account for something. But, you know, are you happy? Are you helping people? You know, are, 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 are your passions being fulfilled? That's what defines success. Hey, yeah, you still want to buy, buy stuff. I bought a new car and, you know, put the, you know, kind of the rest of it in the bank. And for me, it was a weird thing to be 21 years old, to have enough money that if I was careful, I really didn't have to make any more money the rest of my life. I could just do whatever I wanted to do. And I took a year and, well, or not a year, I guess a, a summer. And what do I want to do? And I thought, no, I think I want to move to Hawaii and just be a surfer. And maybe that. And kind of what it came down to, no, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm, I want to write software. And that's, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, but one of the biggest turning points in my life came shortly after that, that in the course of working with that company and them shipping the product, um, I spent a lot of time out at that company and they were, I don't know, two, 300 people, um, you know, they're growing and whatever, and they're a publicly traded company, which I didn't quite understand what that really meant. Um, 
So in the course of being out there, and get me right, I'm I'm young, I'm naive, I'm you know 21. I got to meet lots of people at the company and and met met someone who was a vegan, which I didn't know what that even was. And you know, I'm like, wow, I'm really sheltered. It's like you don't eat meat, what? And got to understand that. Okay, I get that. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, got to know a lot of people. One of the people was one of the tech support um, uh, folks. You know, he's in his 20s, had a new wife, just had a new baby, and it was kind of cool to get to know him. He just was a nice, nice guy. And I, and one of the trips out there, working on stuff and doing whatever, and um, the company had just released a quarterly report, and you know their earnings were down or whatever, and and so they decided they needed to lay people off. And I remember I'm walking down this hallway and he comes out of his office with a box of all this stuff. He got let go. I literally said, this is bullshit. <laughs> this, this is not right. Don't do this to people. And, you know, yeah, it's great to have a simple, you know, 21 year old view. But I'm like, I'm going to do this better. And I'm going to prove that you can build a software company and make a lot of money, which is easy. And you can build a software company and treat people right, which is easy. But doing both of those, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it right, treat people right, and make money at it. Yeah. Do you think that this is a methodology that's really kind of specific to Nebraska? Do you think that that, that methodology of, okay, we're gonna treat our employees better, we're gonna put people over profits, do you think that could exist in Silicon Valley? I, I just don't know. I think people in Nebraska are more content with their lives in general than people in Silicon Valley. And so they're willing to make the right compromises, the right trade-offs. You know, and, and for me, really the epitome of like doing what's right and from the very, very core is Tom Osborne. You know, the, if you look back in your history, then 1983 Orange Bowl, go, going for two. And when, when one point would have been the Nash Championship, going for one wasn't the right thing to do. Winning the game, trying to win the game was the right thing to do. And well, sometimes you don't succeed, but... Maybe we'll call this episode uh, uh, Steve Keen, the Tom Osborne of Nebraska oh, Tech. No. Do you think that's a fair assessment? <laughs> oh, that is that is so... I'm so far out of my league league there. I, I But I mean, he's to me, he's a good measure. He's never had a, you know, any any scandals. You know, he's, he's always... And I mean... I, I'm fortunate to serve on the board of teammates and, and get to interact with him. And I mean, he's the real deal. So Steve learns his lesson about big corporation ethics, and he's on a mission to do right by the people around him. At this point, Steve's made a name for himself, and he has plenty of opportunities to sell out and leave Nebraska for a larger market. But he declines, and he decides to stay in his home state and build yet another software company. The year is 1999, and the company is called E-Celerate. Then we decided um, in 1999, like we're going to build another business. We're going to build an e-commerce business. So let me paint the picture a little bit. It's 1999. VC money is flowing like crazy. Companies like Netscape are going going mad. And Yahoo and and you know Silicon Valley and VC is just just booming and and the internet is kind of just 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 here. And so. Hey, we're going to build an e-commerce company because gee, nobody's thought of that. There's already you know 50 others that are doing it, but we're going to do something different. So we built the technology, and we're you know kind of starting to sell it, and that's just kind of progressing. And companies are falling by the wayside, and 
Then, you know, kind of early 2000, 2000 hits and the dot-com crash and, you know, companies wiped out overnight and, and you know, dozens and dozens of, of e-commerce companies went out of business. And, but we built that company up and um, we got to a point where, you know, it, 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 it made sense to sell it. That was what I felt the best opportunity for employees. But all along the way, always told people, it's like, you know, I don't really know how to do like stock options and all this stuff and whatever. But, you know, when this company is worth something, then, you know, everybody will get get something you know, from it. Um, and I did mean it. Um, and so when we got to the point of, of selling the company and so I used the opportunity to to negotiate a good deal and we were negotiating and the price was 17 million. I said, you know, this isn't this, this isn't enough. It's not going to do it. I'm like, you know, we got we got another offer, which was true. Um, I said, so it's got numbers that going to be higher. And he said, well, you know, I need give me give me some guidance. What do I need to be? And I said, well, 24 million isn't going to do it. On the next episode of Nebraska Made. And this was uh, maybe two weeks after my first baby was born. I don't want to talk to him when I'm old and in my wheelchair and saying, oh yeah, I negotiate all these VC deals. That's what I did. In its unique way, that was the best day of my life. I'm JT Martin, and this has been a Grindstone production. Grindstone is one of the premier production and marketing firms here in Lincoln, offering everything you need to grow your business in 2020, from video and podcast production to social media management and media buying. You can learn more by visiting grindstoneagency.com.